You don't get off the island by taking pitches. The casual fan, they wouldn't fully understand. It's a freaking joke, and it's and it's sad. I think we're going to have our fair share of uh, skirmishes. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Digging In with JPR and Sebia. I'm your host, Nick Ashbourne. We hope you join us on this weekly journey through Blue Jays land. We're going to be talking to athletes. We're going to be telling stories. We're going to be breaking it down. JP, what do you think this podcast is going to be? Well, it's going to be an inside look. We're going to get a lot more in-depth with players. Uh, thankfully, uh, throughout my career, I was able to make a lot of good friends. And, and uh, one thing they know is that they can kind of let their hair down and give us a little bit uh, more in-depth than, than they would give the average reporter. And so that's one thing that, that is exciting. I'll, obviously, as a catcher, I was able to know the game and all the, the games within the game. You know, so that's something for me to be able to break down uh, some stats and, and be able to combat with you because I know that, that you also have you know, some, some things that I may not agree with. Oh, there's going to there's gonna be arguments on this podcast. Maybe not so much in episode one. I think that we uh, maybe a little bit of kid gloves, but at, at the end of the day, it's gonna, there's going to be some bouts. Yeah, and 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 that's the fun part about this is is we're gonna have opinions, and sometimes we're gonna go against each other. Sometimes we'll be for each other, but it's all for uh, the the sake of the conversation. And we're gonna have some great conversations, and we're gonna have some really really good players come on this podcast. And uh, you know, I'm excited uh, for what's to come. Yeah, and on the very first podcast today, we're gonna have a conversation with Kevin Pilar. And I think you're going to hear some stuff from uh, Kevin that, you know, you maybe you haven't heard before about things like style. And, you know, we, we get into rib eating, which is not where I expected to go with this podcast. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Yeah, and, and we'll, we'll get into some stuff that, that people have never probably heard before. And they'll only hear it on this podcast uh, with what players do on one certain day in spring training. And it makes the world of a difference. And honestly, the name of the podcast is Digging In. Generally, we're going to like to hit it right away, big topic of the day, but I thought that it was worthwhile telling you guys what to expect going forward, and we hope that you're going to join us every week. So today, we're going to start off talking about this Blue Jays team that is right there in the thick of it, exceeding expectations. What do you make of this team so far, JP? What are the big surprises for you? What do you see with a team that you know is exceeding what we thought they might be? Well, something that I'm really excited about is uh, the the bullpen. I think you look at all the the biggest teams, the the most winningest teams in Major League Baseball the last few years. They've had uh, some of the most dominant bullpens, and if you go, uh, every championship team has that A one closer. That's where it starts. When you have an anchor like that, that means that you're going to go out there and finish the games that you're supposed to win. That's what closers are supposed to do, and the bullpen has been able to go out there. Because if you look at it, uh, the starters have been okay. Uh, Sanchez, Aaron Sanchez has been really good. Uh, he's the best one so far. Uh, Hap has been able to go out there and, and spin some good games. But if you think about it, what really has given the, the Blue Jays an opportunity so far uh, on, on the winning side of games is that valuable bullpen and closer at the end uh, to go along with a, a a really, really well uh, manicured lineup uh, for matchups. You got a lot of good guys uh, to hit, you know, right-handed pitching. You have a lot of good guys to hit left-handed pitching. And I think that's something for me that has, has been really good. But again, the number one thing that stands out to me, the bullpen. Yeah, I think that when we went into the season, it looked like the bullpen might actually be the weakness of this team. They had a lot of guys signed for cheap, signed on minor league deals. Like they like guys like O and Axford and Clippard, they'd been good before, but they were coming off not their best years. And the Blue Jays have had a lot of sort of five inning starts from their starters this year. Like it hasn't been guys going six, seven, eight. So the bullpen's been called on a lot. And so far, you know, you couldn't ask for more in terms of what they've done. All of these guys pretty much have come through. No one's really and the guys that they brought back, like did we know that Tapera or Danny Barnes, like, did we know those guys were going to be guys they could lean on? Not necessarily, but so far it's definitely worked. Yeah, and, and what's good is I actually talked to Pete Walker, the pitching coach, earlier uh, before the season, and we were talking about guys in the bullpen, and he was talking about Tapera being able to get his shot finally because he's been a guy who's been up and down. So you're right, you didn't know what you're going to get from him, but you knew he had really, really good stuff. 
And the one guy that he told me, dude, this guy is just Mr. Consistent. You know what you're going to get every time out is Danny Barnes. And he's gone out there and gone 11 and two-thirds and punched out 14 guys and only walked one. And I think that's something that is another big thing uh, when you go out there and you're you're a bullpen guy. You you can't just give guys free passes. And I mean, as a pitcher in general, you don't want to do that. But especially out of the bullpen, especially when you're coming in in those tight situations. And Danny Barnes has been able to do that. And, and again, O has been great. O's only walked one guy to this point. So again, you continue to look at these guys. And I think that's one thing that's going to help. Uh, the pitching staff is being able to to limit those walks, and those guys that have been the best in the bullpen have been able to do that. I like you uh, centering that on Danny Barnes because I think he's a guy who goes under the radar a little bit. You know, those guys, these days people expect guys out of the bullpen to throw 97-98, and here's Danny Barnes. He's coming out 91-92, but he's challenging guys. He's challenging them up in the zone, and he's got this changeup that's sort of 79, and that's this huge gap. And Sometimes even when he misses with that changeup, he still gets people out in front of him or he gets people swing through them because it's just not, it's so far from what that fastball is. If they guess wrong on the pitch, they really don't have a chance. Yeah. And honestly, the biggest equalizer in the game is the changeup. If you see, there's, you know, a few closers that'll come to mind. Uh, Fernando Rodney was a guy who pitched on two pitches, fastball changeup. Uh, changeup is the hardest pitch to recognize for a hitter. Um, and now we have data that proves it. And so when you have a guy who's throwing in, in the low nineties with a drop off, they always say you try to, you try to have your, your changeup, a really good changeup is 10 miles an hour off your fastball. And that's what your ideal, uh, mile per hour drop off is and he's he gets it to 10 and and even more than 10 mile an hour difference and so that's a big difference as a hitter you know when you're when you're a hitter you see breaking balls usually come up out of the hand and fastballs usually don't have that that hump is what we call it and a changeup doesn't have a hump either like a breaking ball does so it's very very tough to recognize and again Danny Barnes you know is a guy you remember Casey Jansen. I'm sure a lot of, of people in the Blue Jays remember Casey Jansen, who was a dominant bullpen guy who was a closer for some time. He didn't throw hard, but what he did have is very good command and a lot of different pitches. And that's Danny Barnes is kind of, to me, a better version of a Casey Jansen. And so he's not going to wow you with, with the Ozuna fastball or the Axford fastball. But what he does is he continuously puts guys – in the batter's box in trouble because he has so many different weapons to go to and he has that devastating changeup. So for me, uh, that's a, a huge part of his success. Beyond the bullpen, there really have been some interesting surprises with this team, kind of both positive and negative. But staying on the positive side, because this team has had more positive surprises than negative for sure, sit, sitting where they are, this bullpen, this podcast is way too young to have inside jokes, but Young Ervis Solarte uh, is something that we have talked about a little bit prior to this first podcast, and he's really, outside of Teoscar Hernandez's kind of magical couple of games, he's been the best hitter on this team, which to me was a big surprise, to you maybe less so, but when you take a utility guy and suddenly make him a middle-of-the-order threat, and you know he might not be that for the rest of the year, but... When you see that kind of bump up in someone's production, it really helps raise this offense up. Yeah, no, he's been awesome. And, uh, you know, I won't say that I, I told you so, but um, so far, you know, I, I, I could say that I, I uh, called that in the sense of he was a, he's a guy who has, when he had his best numbers in the San Diego Padres, on the San Diego Padres, he was hitting in the middle of the order. And so that shows to me that he's, very comfortable and he wants to be in that limelight he wants to have those situations and there's certain guys that are just built like that man they, that they can go out there and they can drive in runs and get big hits well Solarte has done that for them especially with losing Donaldson you know Donaldson goes down you've had Kendris Morales out for a little bit and he's gone in there and hit some absolute huge home runs he's been a guy who you can put out there he's uh, one of the best right now in driving and runs in the team. Uh, again, for me, he's been a pleasant surprise. Teoscar, I love that he was able to come up and do what he had to do because now by him proving that he belongs, they had to make other moves to keep him up in the big leagues, which I think at the end of the day is going to make the team better. He's He kind of 
got there and said, hey, listen, I deserve to be here. I should be here, and I'm going to stay. And that's what they've been able to do uh, with him. And another guy for me, actually, that kind of stands out, his numbers are not huge to this point. He's hitting in the low 200s, but he's got four home runs, and he's hit a couple big ones, is Diaz. Uh, he, he has been a guy who has been very, very good in – crucial situations and hit some big home runs and I think as the season continues and as he continues to get more comfortable in this lineup I think he'll continue to do some big things Diaz is a fun guy to watch for me because he just swings like he swings all the time in this era of so many deep counts like lots of walks are up strikeouts are up Diaz will strike out too but he he takes his cuts well think about it think about all the Cuban players right those dudes and and this is what we used to say is with the Latin guys, you don't get off the island by taking pitches. So that's, I mean, it's a, it's a running joke. Like that's what we used to say in the clubhouse and stuff like that is these guys are taking hacks, man. You don't, you don't get out of the, out of, out of Cuba or out of the DR or any of these countries. If you're not out there and you're not aggressively taking hacks. So if you see it in the general, there are a lot of Cuban players are, are very aggressive. I mean, you look, you look at a Puig, I mean, Morales is settled in. He's been, he's a veteran, right? So he's been around for a long time. Uh, Guriel's going to have to, I bet you he's, you know, he's another guy that's going to be out there and be aggressive. That's just the nature of that baseball. These, what the way these guys came up. And again, I like it. I think that uh, he is again, a guy who, when they picked him up in the off season, I kind of was like, all right, what do we got? And Tulo, you know, hurt again. And he comes in there and he's been able to do a good job. And what's crazy is he has a reverse splits. He actually has better numbers versus right-handed pitching uh, than he does versus lefty. And and a few of his big home runs this year have been against that right-handed pitching. What I like about where the Blue Jays sit right now is, yes, they have these guys who might, you know, is Teoscar Hernandez going to be this absolute monster all year? Maybe not. Is Solarte? We'll see uh, where that goes. Although he's been very patient, which is interesting because he's never done that before. But they also have those negative surprises. The starters haven't been as good as you thought. It would be Russell Martin still needs to come around. Grichuk has a lot more to offer than he's shown. So as some of these guys who, you know, maybe are overperforming come down, I think there are quite a few guys who will still come up. And I think that'll help keep this team sort of on a line and maybe, uh, you know, in the hunt going forward. So before we move on from the start, based on what you've seen so far, what is your prediction on the Blue Jays' finish because I think that it's important to get those predictions in early so that we can use them to embarrass each other later on. I think they're going to stay in second place, and that'll be a a spot for them. I think it's going to be tough to challenge. Listen, Boston is a really, really good team, and I know that they've started off hot, but that's a a really, really – they've made a great team over there, and that's going to be a team that I think is going to win the East. But I do think that Toronto will hold that uh, second-place spot – and uh, be able to get a shot into the postseason, but that's that's where I see them. I think that they're, you know, the Yankees are good. Are they better than the Blue Jays? They could be, but I think the Blue Jays, the way they reconstructed this lineup, I think that that they're going to be a team that's out there winning ninety plus games, and you'll see them at that at that second uh, spot in the AL East. I'm going to be uh, a little bit more pessimistic. I think as we go on here, you'll probably see that uh, JP is the optimist, and I'm the cynic. And I'm going to get that started here right now. And I'll say I like the Blue Jays. It scares me because I think that they're the seventh best team in the AL. I think you've got the Boston, Cleveland, and the Astros winning the divisions. And then I see the Yankees and Angels winning those wild cards. And I think the Blue Jays are going to be good, but just not good enough. That's where I see it playing out. Ah. I that's I like I like that I'm always I'm we're gonna have our battles because it's it's gonna be fun but I I definitely think that they'll be uh, in the hunt and I don't I don't know I don't think I'm not sold on Anaheim I'm not really sold on Anaheim being a team that's gonna be able to uh, you know continue the way that they've continued I think that they're riding off a, a little bit of the Shohei Otani high and that's why they've gotten uh, off to a good start but I'm not sold on Anaheim and I think Toronto again. They've been able to do the things that they've been able to do without a Donaldson, who I'm sure will, will be back. Uh, Kendris Morales is healthy now. And so I think that uh, this is a team that was well-built, and we're going to go out there and surprise the people. Now we're going to bring on our first guest, Toronto Blue Jays center fielder Kevin Pillar. We all know what he can do in the field. There's a reason they call him Superman. He's also hot at the plate for the second straight year, getting off to a great start. 
But more impressively than that, this is a guy who stole three bases in a single inning, including home plate in the Blue Jays' opening series against the New York Yankees, a feat that has never been matched in franchise history. All right, well, we're here with Kevin Pillar, and uh, obviously me and you had a conversation about it um, through text, and and we both were, I feel like we are kind of laughing about it. People don't understand the adrenaline that goes on through your body when you're about to do something that could, you know, be good or be bad. It's kind of like that that whole, you know, when you're a kid, you get that adrenaline rush and you know that you're about to do something you're getting in trouble for. Uh, and then if you get away with it, you get away with it. And so we had the conversation about what it felt like at third base before it happened and then what it felt like after. So can you kind of just walk me through that that situation? Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of said it exactly. I mean, I mean, it's definitely a huge risk-reward factor when, um, you know, I finally made the decision to just take off and, and steal home. Um, you know, for us at that time, <clears throat> uh, you know, I, I got myself to third base. I stole um, I stole second, stole third. We had two outs. We had a hitter at the plate that was struggling a little bit. Obviously, an elite pitcher on the mound. Um, and I don't really know what happened in the moment. I, I got this. I had a lot of adrenaline from stealing second and stealing third. I had this big lead off third base. He wasn't paying attention to me. Um, we kind of talked about it through text. We have a lot of information on, you know, pitchers that step on the mound, catchers that are behind the plate, you know, what their strengths and weaknesses are. And like you said, when I took off, you know, I think the moment leading up to it, I think about the what if I don't make it. And then quickly I think about what if I do make it and the the reward way out risk uh, was was way more than the risk of getting thrown out, especially because we were up by one run in the game, uh, you know, with one of the best closers in the game coming to the game. Uh, so me stealing home right there was just kind of a way to give him a little bit more cushion. But, I mean, you nailed it perfectly. It's, it's this crazy adrenaline rush where um, when it happened, I don't even really remember doing it. I, I remember getting back to the dugout and my teammates being like really, really, really excited. Like one of the most excited I've ever seen people on the field. And I don't think I realized the, you know, what I had just done. It's something that you don't see every day. It's something you might only see once in an entire major league baseball season to be able to do it on opening weekend, um, you know, against the Yankees uh, in a game that we felt like we really need to win to, you know, get our season on track. Um, you know, it was, it was, uh, it's, it's something I'll always remember. It's, it's something that, uh, was not only incredible for me, it was incredible for people watching the game, for my teammates, um, for anyone that was at the stadium, it's something they'll always remember. And it's cool that I'll be part of it. When you hit home plate, is there ever a time that you, is that the time where you wanted to go Jersey off S on the chest? I feel like I'm six foot 10 right now. Oh, when I'm still home, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a huge, like, uh, I don't show a lot of emotion on the field because I just kind of feel like even when I make, you know, good plays in the field or drive and runs or hit homers, whatever might happen, you know, these are things that I expect me to do on a baseball field. I, I This is something I've worked my whole life to do. It's something I work every day on, whether it's running down balls or hitting gaps or hitting home runs. These are things that I truly expected to do and I expect to be successful on the field. But when you do something that's kind of unexpected, um, no doubt. I mean, that's kind of where I, I think I did have my Superman uh, blue day T undershirt on. And, you know, it's definitely one of those times where I feel like I wish I could rip my jersey off and, and just show everyone that I'm really truly living up to the name that this city has given me. Um, but yeah, you know, you walk back to the dugout feeling, um, you know, like you're the baddest dude on the planet, baddest dude on the field. Um, you know, 50 other major league baseball players just witnessed something that they might not ever see again. And you're the guy to do it. Um, it, it's an incredible feeling. So that game has been part of what's been a pretty successful, strong start for you. And this, you had the same thing happen last year, got off to a hot start. How much easier is it to enjoy that when the rest of the team is rolling too? Because I know last year you had this huge start, but it's a little bit more difficult to really savor that when the team starts, you know, two and nine or whatever it is. 
No, yeah, I mean it was it was obviously um kind of important to me um to get off to a hot start. Um it's something I've I feel like up until last year I kind of got off to slow starts and I felt like uh personally I was always playing catch up. Um and then the the previous year um you know I I took my spring training at bats a little bit different than I had um up until that point knowing that I was going to be the opening day center fielder. I was going to get my 600 at-bats in the big leagues. Um, I, I really took those at-bats in spring training differently than I ever had. I mean, there was times I'd go up there and just sit on one pitch. If I didn't get it, I'd walk back to the dugout if I struck out. There's times where I purposely get two strikes. There was times, uh, you know, I would tell my hitting coach uh, situation, even if there was no runners on base, so that I can work on these certain things that I felt like, um, I wasn't very successful at early on in the year. Um, so for me to get off to a good start, it was huge. Obviously I couldn't enjoy it as much as uh, I was hoping to, uh, with the team struggling so much. Um, but this year, definitely with, uh, getting off to a good start and our team being even more successful. Um, it's been a lot easier to enjoy it. It's been a lot easier to, um, want to continue the success. Um, you know, our individual success is obviously important only to us, but it doesn't really mean a whole lot if we're not winning games. But when you can be a guy that gets off to a good start and is successful at the plate and teams are winning, winning games, uh, you definitely feel um, responsible for it. And I think the biggest difference this year is not only with me, but I think everyone that steps up to the plate. And I think it kind of started with, um, you know, Donaldson not getting off to a great start, him being in and out of the lineup. Um, I think for a long time, guys kind of leaned on him, relied on him to come up with the big hit or to hit the big home run. Um, you know, I feel like everyone that steps up to the plate now has that same responsibility, um, expects themselves to be great. And I think that's the biggest difference this year is um, you're, you're seeing contributions from up and down the lineup. And even for guys that didn't start the year in the big leagues that have been called up uh, maybe earlier than they thought they would be. Um, everyone's going out there and contributing. KP, you know, this is a podcast for me that I want to make it a, a educational and, and get some insight on baseball, but there's other things that I'd like to talk about too that people don't get. And you're one of the more fashionable guys on the team. You always look the part, and you look the part in the uniform, and a lot of people don't realize how big – a tailored uniform goes into a, a, a player in, in in spring training. Like, guys, you, you like your pants a certain way. You like your jersey a certain way. Uh, talk about, for you, what, what what are the things that you do in spring training? How do you tailor? How, you know, how do you like to look? And then you can hit on the, the, the eye black. You've always been an eye black guy that you throw on the, those stickies. And I think – I think, it, it looks the part. So I want to hear your thought process on that. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's, there's always a day in spring training kind of towards the beginning of spring training when majestic, the uniform company comes in and it's known as Jersey day. And, uh, you know, you put on your uniform from last year and you have the ability to do pretty much anything you want, similar to getting a suit made. And if you want the sleeves, uh, tailored one inch up. If you want the inseam taken in, if you want the size of your uniform to be a little bit tighter, um, you, there, there's really no limits to what you can do with your uniform. And uh, similar to wanting to 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 dress well and and feel good about yourself off the field, I think players started um, to understand the importance of that on the field. If we show up a certain way to the stadium with nice clothes on and we feel good about ourselves and feel professional then we need to be able to carry that on the field. And, um, you know, that's something that I learned from guys, older guys uh, in the clubhouse. I was, when I first got up there, I was just thankful to have a uniform. But then I realized the impact of having a uniform that fits you well and you feel good about, you know, it's a game changer. Baseball is so much about the mind, more so than the skill. Because um, when you get to the big leagues, when you get to pro ball, the Everyone everyone has skills. Everyone can throw. Everyone can hit. Everyone can hit for power. What separates people from getting out of double A or being successful in the big leagues is between their ears. Um, and that's not just about the game. That, that goes into what we're talking about. The reason I put 
those eye black stickers on at night when they're not doing anything for me, but it just changes the way I feel about myself. When I put that eye black on, I feel like I'm going to war. I feel like I'm a soldier. I feel like I'm a ball player. I feel like it's my, I feel like I'm putting on a uniform, um, you know, similar to how Batman puts his uniform on when he goes to fight crime. I feel like when I put that eye black on, I put that jersey on, I pull my pants up high and I put my socks on, I become this different person. I'm no longer Kevin Ploy. I kind of bought into this whole Superman idea that that's, that's me when I'm in my baseball uniform. I'm Superman. I put the, the Superman logo on my chest. I put my pants up high. I put this eye black on. Um, and it just takes my mind to a different place. Um, like you said, that's that's the casual fan or the person that's never been in uh, a big league clubhouse or has never stepped foot on a big league field. That's that's something that they wouldn't fully understand. Um, Major league baseball players are doing, especially in a sport where you got to play so many days in in a row and you got to play 162 games over the course of six months. Um, sometimes you got to trick yourself and believe in, uh, you feel better than you actually do. And, and all this stuff that you see major league baseball do is all calculated. Uh, it, it's for us to get the best product out of ourselves every day we step on the field. So JP can probably speak to this a little bit too, but with the news coming down about Jose Bautista signing with the Braves and that looks like they're going to bring him along pretty quickly. This is a guy that's literally been beside you for many years, but it's been a teammate sort of until this year, how is that going to feel to see him in another jersey and then potentially to play against him when the Braves roll through town? Uh, I think the longer you're in this game, you, you understand that um, a lot of those things are a reality. Um, as many years as me and Jose spent together playing side by side, you, you understand uh, it's a business and it's only a matter of time before one of us or both of us is playing in a different jersey, but I, I couldn't be happier for the guy. And uh, it, it kind of just speaks to Jose Batista and how hard he works. The fact that, you know, we're 20 games into the major league season and he was unsigned until about, you know, four days ago, five days ago. And uh, he's on the cusp of getting called up to the big leagues. Just talks about his work ethic and uh, how he always believed in himself and his ability to get signed uh, even when things didn't look so good for him, that he stayed in baseball shape, stayed in great shape, um, and he's showing it. He's going out there and he's hitting homers. He's playing good third base and in and, and minor league games. And I expect to see him in the big leagues here soon. And um, I know that we have them on the schedule, and it's definitely something that um, I look forward to. I look forward to seeing him out on a big league field again. I, I wish him nothing but the best. Um, and I know his personality. I know he's not happy with his uh, current situation. Um, and I know he's going to go out there and make the best of it. And he's going to prove to, you know, 29 other teams and uh, even his current team that, you know, age is just a number. And uh, he's going to go out there and have a monster year. I think it's a great signing for the Braves. I think they're going to get a guy that is, is extremely motivated. And I've seen firsthand um, – what he can do when uh, he's he's got this laser focus and is unbelievably motivated. I mean, I've never seen a guy um, get thrown at in multiple at bats and followed up with a home run. It's just it's something he has this it factor, and um, you know he's going to take that motivation like I've seen many times with with guys throwing at him um, and hitting homers. And you know I expect him to go off this year and. Like I said, he's going to prove to 29 other teams that, um, you know, a 37-year-old can still play, and um, I expect him to to play this game as long as he wants to play. Kev, last one, and I'm going to tee up Nick for this. He told me uh, something about uh, some eating thing, so I'm going to tee him up, and you can answer this last question. Yeah, Kevin, I like to, uh, you know, dig back in the research, see some old quotes, and hold you to them. So, this is something you told Vice Sports two years ago. Maybe it's still true, maybe not. These are the words of Kevin Pillar. I do look forward to rib day, and I've been known to eat 51 ribs. It's a record right now, and I challenge anyone to try and beat that. So first of all, is that true? Second of all, is the challenge still open? And third of all, why 51? All right. 
true. I did eat 51 ribs. The challenge is still open. It has been beat since. By um, who? Lucas. Lucas, one of our clubhouse employees, he used to work on the visiting site. He had heard the legend of me eating 51 ribs on rib day. And uh, he went out of his way to eat 52, which oh, he beat He beat the record. But um, I feel like it's a little bit different when you know that there's a, there's a number in mind you've got to be. Obviously, there's a target there. One more than I did. Yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of shut it down to 51. I thought that was enough. I thought it was uh, substantial enough where, uh, you know, I, I can make some noise with it. You know, I can, I can create a little bit of a legend. Um, but I think back to that day, it was maybe two years ago. Um, there was definitely more room in the tank. So um, I, I think when the time's right, me and Lucas will sit down and we'll do it again. And um, I expect to raise the bar. Well, yeah, 51 is how many racks of ribs is that? Because first of all, for me, it seems like you would stop at 50. That seems like a nice round number, but... Maybe it's a specific number of racks. I can't claim to be the I kind mean, these, of rib these, master. These ribs that we're getting are just they just fall off the bone. So when when I'm going when I'm going to pick them up, I'm not really counting racks. I'm just I'm just stacking the plate. You know, and I went back for a second thirds and at the end I, I realized I had eaten a lot. I it was something I didn't really set out to do. I just was hungry. I started eating ribs, they were so good. At the end I decided to count the bones. I was at fifty one and you know, I, I, I started showing off a little bit, telling people I ate 51 ribs. If they want to come get it, they know where the champ is. Um, you know, and Lucas, who happened to be working on the visiting side at the time, you know, and he, he has a boomerang video of it, so I, I can't argue it. He's got proof. Well, we might, have to, we might have to circle back with you on that one. If you decide to take up this feed again, let us know. We want to hear the legends. Honestly, we want to film it because uh, it sounds like a heck of a feat. Ah, anytime. When 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 I'm feeling up to it, you guys will be my first call and uh, bring the camera in. Me and Lucas would, would love to put on a show. Kevin, you're always great. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on, man. And uh, you guys uh, got a game tonight, so to go out there and get them. Yeah, thanks a lot, Kevin. We'll talk soon. All right, we're back, uh, having heard from Kevin Pillar. Now, we have a few segments on the show. Obviously, you guys don't know them yet, but this one is called Memory Lane, where we're going to draw on some of JP's experiences, and he's going to tell a few stories. And I think the first one that this seemed like a slam dunk for me from the beginning of knowing I was going to do this podcast with JP, we got to tell a story of the debut, and now we have an excuse to do it because Lourdes Gurriel had a very memorable debut against the Yankees, Two hits, three RBIs, really feel-good story. JP, your debut, one of the most legendary in Blue Jays history. What do you remember? Just take it away. Uh, well, first I remember finally saying, gosh, I've been waiting to get up to the big leagues for a long time. I'm ready to rock. Uh, and, you know, at that time I was in AAA leading all of baseball at the All-Star break and home runs. I was in 325 with 25 homers, so I was just ready for for my chance. And so when I got to the big leagues uh, that first day, I was like, I couldn't sleep the night before. I think I finally fell asleep like at four in the morning, but it was a day game, so I had to wake up early uh, and and get to the yard. But obviously, it didn't matter because I was as wired as I can be and was able to have my jitters when I walked out there into the field to warm up the starter, but. The biggest thing for me, which is as as dumb as it sounds, my biggest worry was if I were gonna if I was gonna catch the first pitch thrown to me, and I, I tell people that because literally, you know, you're on defense, and the first pitch of the game, all I wanted to do was make sure I didn't drop it, and so I caught that, uh, and was able to uh, you know calm out, calm down after that, and then my first at bat, it kind of worked out perfectly because uh, Edwin had hit a double, and I was coming up, and there's nobody outs. Or yeah, there's no outs. Um, so I knew that the pitcher thinks, all right, this is a kid coming up from AAA. Uh, he's going to want to maybe move the runner over and you know do the right thing that's supposed to be done. 
Uh, and that's what I thought he'd be thinking. So my response to that in my brain was, I'm going to look for a fastball in because he's thinking that I'm going to try to hit the ball to second base and I'm going to hit, I'm going to look for it in and, and I'm going to, you know, get ready to rock. And, uh, you know, fortunately enough, he did exactly what I thought he was going to do. And he threw me a fastball in and I was able to hit it. And I remember that as soon as I hit it, I knew I'd hit a home run. And like in my head, I, I thought to myself, are you kidding me? Is this really happening? Uh, this is ridiculous. And so the first pitch I ever saw in the big leagues, I hit a home run. And then after that, it was, it was, you know, kind of smooth sailing. I went, uh, next at bat opposite field double. And then my third at bat, I got a single and my fourth at bat. I remember going, what the heck? I got nothing to lose. So if he throws me a first pitch fastball, I'm trying to smash another homer. And I was able to hit a fastball and hit it out, uh, to right field. So that was my second homer of the game. And honestly, the toughest at bat throughout that entire game was my fifth at bat because when I came up for my fifth at bat, there was a standing ovation. And the standing ovation didn't just stop after I got into the batter's box. The standing ovation continued throughout my entire at bat. And so that was the at bat for me that I like emotionally could not contain myself and I ended up fouling out. But it was like that was the hardest at bat out of all the five because of the way that, you know, kind of the love of the fans and the, and the way that I was, you know, kind of being loved that day. So that was the, the toughest thing, but it was, it was special. Uh, again, you, you lived the dream for so long to get to the actual dream. And, uh, it was a, it was a fun day. It was, people forget, like that was a wild game. You guys end up winning 17 to 11 that day. Like it was absolutely like wall to wall madness. And so normally on a day like that, you I mean, you were the story that day. There was no doubt about it, but there was a lot going on in that game. One thing is like, did you ever think about the triple? Like in that, I mean, obviously it clears the wall. You can't run three, but like, I think that's the first thing I would have been thinking that fourth at bat. Like, can I put this to right field? Is there a little nook and cranny down the line for me to find a triple here? Uh, and no, and the people have asked me that and I tell them, listen, the the amount of triples that I've hit in my life, I can count on pretty much in one hand. And so I knew you have to kind of know yourself and know your strengths. One of my strengths or one of my not strengths has been speed. I've never been fast. I've always said if there's any kind of trouble and I'm with people, that whoever's I'm the one that's getting caught because I'm not that quick. So so you're the one you sh people should go camping with if there's bears around. Yes, if you want to, if you want, I will be the guinea pig because guaranteed everybody takes off running. I'm the last one. I'm getting eaten, and everyone's going home safe. And I just want them to have uh, some real nice things to be said about me at my at my funeral. The real hero. So yeah, it was it was it was cool, man, and it was special. My mom was there. Uh, obviously, she was able to work hard and and to to see me uh, to put me through a lot uh, of things that I had the opportunity to do and to just to get me. Uh, to where I was and so I wanted her to be a part of that and that was nice to be able to share that with her but man it was I, I didn't think about that that cycle honestly I was just trying to hit the ball hard and really trying to go deep again and I mean it, it just happened to, to happen but uh, throughout my career there's plenty of times where I tried to go deep again and I ended up striking out so I don't know if that was the best uh, approach but it worked early. Uh, one thing also I guess you probably don't get asked about as much just because I think it's when you have that kind of day at the plate, that's all anyone's going to think about. But do you remember that day as a catcher? Like, do you remember calling that game and how you felt about how you played defensively? Or is that just got blurred out? I mean, it got kind of blurred out. But I know that after that game, uh, Cito Gaston had kind of questioned a little bit uh, the game calling. And I think so. That was one of those things where I knew as a catcher, right, you, you go out there and you have that huge offensive day, but then the other team scored 11 runs. And so I remember uh, at the beginning, I was I was playing every day. Uh, when I first got called up, I was playing quite a bit. And then I stopped, I stopped playing as much because it was more of a, you know, game calling and I had to learn uh, how to call pitches in the big leagues or learn the hitters more or whatever. So they, they started catching Molina a little bit more, but um, so that's, that's something that you don't, you don't think about, but after when you're not playing and you, you see what's going on, I can't, I kind of think that that was a, a part of the, you know, 
it's or not think. I knew that that was a big part of the game and about catching, and so that was something that kind of was at the beginning a little bit of a, a strike for me. So one thing that you mentioned there that I'm going to use as a hook for a segue is just that fan support you got, um, especially at the end of that game with the standing ovation. Fans have entered the news cycle a little bit recently in the case of Giancarlo Stanton, where he's getting booed at Yankee Stadium already. And so this segment's called Outside the Nest. We like to talk a little bit about non-Blue Jays baseball. Don't worry, it's still a Blue Jays podcast, but there's other things going on there worth talking about. And I think people are always on board to basically talk poorly about Yankees fans in general. So what is your take on a player who is this accomplished getting booed by local fans, you know, in a slump 10, 15 games into a season? It's a freaking joke, and it's and it's sad, uh, especially when you know that this is a guy who just won the MVP. Every single year that he's been healthy, he's put up monster numbers. You know that he's going to go out there. I mean, think about how many times. I feel like every year there's, a, there's always a huge clip about Stanton that he struck out 16 out of 20 or 18 out of 25 and all this stuff. It's what he does. Power hitters are streaky. But this power hitter, when he streaks, and I'm not talking about on the road, I'm talking about uh, playing baseball, the dude goes off and he is a really, really good hitter and it's why he won the MVP last year and he hit 50-plus homers and why he is you know, arguably the most dominant position player in the game is because of how special he is. And I hate – I it makes me mad – uh, when fans that early, right? Like, listen, there's fans pay money. They have the right to have their feelings and, and, and be able to wear guys out however they want. But I mean, the opening series, they're booing him. Uh, and then they expect that down the line when he's doing good, they expect him to be a fan friendly player. And that's the thing that I think is, is more, uh, the, the funny part of, of this is, you know, people get hurt. I mean, p- players have emotions. Players have hearts too. And when you beat up people and do that when they're when they're struggling, you can't expect them to just all of a sudden be uh, Mr. Nice Guy when it's going good and all of a sudden everybody loves you. So there's a lot of players that I've heard throughout my lifetime or my career, uh, you know, when they do good, kind of laugh at it and go like, oh, now you guys – are, are cheering me on because last week you were telling me that I, you know, what sucked. So I, I think it's tough for a player when you when you do that, especially when it's at your home ballpark on the road. If they want to boo, it's it's whatever. That's fun because then if I, I can shut them up if I do something good. But when you're at home, you guys, fans want to fans boo the arguably one of the best players in baseball. Uh, then, then I think that they need to kind of – learn a little bit about the game and realize that at the end of the year, this guy's going to be exactly where he usually is. And that's in the MVP conversation. Yeah. I mean, for one, I'm not a big fans booing in general guy. I just feel like you're out there to support your team. And, you know, it's kind of like hecklers at stand-up comedy. It's like, what are you doing? You're here to enjoy. You're not here to express this negative feeling, but I do agree. It is your right to do that. You know, you're not going to get kicked out or anything, but at the same time, a guy of Stanton's stature for me is just, he's like you said, he's clearly going to be good. By the end of the year, he's going to be good. He's going to have hit lots of home runs. He strikes out a lot. If you want the home runs, you're going to have to take the strikeouts. And he's not, you know, he's not like a grumpy, mean guy. He's a guy who just goes about his business. I don't can't say I know him. He seems like a nice enough guy. I just don't think that he deserves this kind of, kind of scorn, especially this early on. Like, Stanton's a guy that... For me, he's like one of the wonders of baseball to watch this guy play, and they're not appreciating that. And that kind of that makes me sad. It's like you're so lucky that you get to watch a guy like this on your team 81 times a year, and you're gonna spit in the face of that in 10 games. Yeah, no, it's a, it's it's a joke. It's a joke, and it sucks. And again, as a person who got booed uh, at home uh, before, and I had a lot more of a sample size, so I was, you know, I had been there for already three and a half years, and it was, I was struggling, and so listen. I understood that people were fans were upset, and I believe me, no one was more upset than I was. But like you said, give the guy a chance and understand that, man. You have not only just one, but you have two of the 
best home run hitters in the game, right? Like you have back-to-back, the Twin Towers, whatever they want to call them, and they should be very, very honored that they're going, man, this is historic. Like this, these two guys back-to-back could be very historic, and I get to see them every day and, again, know that that Stanton – at the end of the year is going to be right where if he stays healthy, the dude's going to have 50 plus homers in that park. And he's going to be a guy who is a big, big part of that organization for a while. But do fans really want to sour him that early? Because then when he goes off, do you think that he's going to want to extend himself? Do you think he's going to want to extend himself to fans? Do you think he's going to want to do open himself up? No, because they've already beat him up before they even gave him a chance. So I mean, if they want to kind of – it's the whole saying, like, you make your bed, you lay in it. Like, if the fans want to start off that way, start off that way, but have fun trying to win them over whenever you guys are out there going, hey, you're the best and we love you, and he's not paying you attention or he's not signing things or he's just kind of going on his own. You guys did what you did. Yeah, I think, as you mentioned before, I think we're going to have our fair share of uh, skirmishes throughout the course of this podcast, but I think that's one that we pretty much couldn't agree more on. Uh, the Yankees fans are unreasonable and they deserve all of your scorn. Good. And I, and I used to always tell people and people would laugh. I said, I would tell them if, if I go to your work and while you're working on your keyboard going, you suck, you suck, you're the worst. You typed that wrong. You're terrible. They, it would be, it would, they would be like, dude, this is awful. Please leave me alone. And so I used to, I used to tell fans, I would mess around like, Hey, I would. Can I go to your work and just rip you for however long that you get to to be at your desk? Because it's not fun. So then, think about how when you do it to the people that you're that you're trying to support. Yeah, bring some signs. Get creative with it. So before we go, and this is again, it's funny. I'm presenting these things as if they're traditions. You guys don't know them yet, but this is going to be a tradition. Before we end every episode, uh, is a little piece of JP and Sevia career trivia. I'll ask JP a question. I'm going to keep score all year, see how much he remembers about his own career. We got a little bit obscure at the stats. So are you ready, JP? I am ready. And uh, as people don't know yet, but uh, I was right in our test run uh, previously. And so uh, let's see if I can uh, continue that streak. He has. He does have a perfect record technically, but... And anything that never made iTunes doesn't, you know, doesn't count for history, but we'll give you a little credit here. This question, you can get off to a great start because it's worth four points. There's four points in this question. You have had one sacrifice bunt in your entire career. One bunt. You only attempted it once. So you're, you're hundred percent on your bunts, best bunter in the history of baseball. So four points. If you can tell me the season the opposing team, the pitcher, and the situation. Let's see how many of those you can get. Dude, I, I, the only chance – I have literally no idea what team. I don't have a, a, any idea of the situation. Uh, I, I don't know the pitcher, obviously. If I'm going to say anything, it would have been my rookie season in 2011 uh, would have been the answer that I'm going to give you because – I think that they gave me the bunt one time my rookie year, but other than that, that's all I got. No, you're going. You're going to go over four. And I always, you know, I always thought that bunting would be such a historic moment in a player's career that they would be able to remember that and keep that in their head forever. No, no, and I still <laughs> and and I tell players all the time. I'm like, I don't ever think that I bunted in my career. So I didn't even know that I was. I I remember that I tried. I didn't know that I succeeded. So there you go. I don't I don't know. But give me. I need to know what I did so I can pass this along to uh, the future kids that I help out. Yeah. So you can you can be the king of fundamentals and pass it on to the the future National League eighth hitters and whatnot. The season was 2012, facing the Baltimore Orioles, and the pitcher was Tommy Hunter back when he was a starter. And the situation was one of the really controversial ones because it was just runner on, on first, none out. So Colby Rasmus took a walk and then immediately after you laid down the bunt. So that's an interesting one because a lot of people nowadays don't think that that's the right situation for a bunt. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you, here's another. I'm going to take you, a, a give you a trip down memory lane real quick because there was also a time where I got, John Farrell had told me to safety squeeze. And so a safety squeeze is if there's a man on third base, you try to lay down a bunt either 
down the third baseline or first baseline so that we can score that run. And so he did that, and I can, I will remember this because he did that against Will Heisen or whatever, the, the guy who was the closer for the Seattle Mariners who threw really hard. Tim, it's like Tim or Tom. Oh, Wilhelmson. Or, yeah, so yeah I don't know who you're talking about. That guy had gas. Yeah, he threw hard. And imagine a person that never bunted. So I literally, first, first pitch he throws me is 96. First off in my head, I'm going, why the heck is he bunting me right here on a safety squeeze? Because I got no chance. It's a high, high risk one for someone who has no idea how to bunt. Yeah, so throws me, throws me the pitch, foul it. 50 rows deep into the behind home plate because I had no chance. And then the next pitch, he takes off the bunt and lets me swing. He throws me a curveball, and I hit a sack fly. And that was the only time that I remember a bunt and uh, a bunt attempt uh, was that because I remember going, what the heck am I doing, dude? This is ridiculous. This guy throws way too hard for me to bunt. This is scary. And please let me swing the bat. He did, and I got the run in. Well, I wish we I wish we had a time machine, go back to 2012, figure out what you were doing that fateful day in Baltimore. But uh, I guess we'll never know. Yeah, I, I have no like, idea. And I really can honestly say that I don't even know how I ever got the bunt down because if there's one thing that I did not know how to do, and it's because I never had done it, was bunt. And uh, for people that think that bunting is easy, I will gladly offer you a, a large portion of money to go out there and try to bunt against a major league pitcher who is throwing firm and throwing curveballs at you because it is not fun. All right. So that is an ugly start for you to JP Career Trivia. 0 for 4. You know what? We'll slide in the practice episode. We'll give you a 1 for 5 as the season goes on. Still a failing grade. Um, but I think you can turn it around. I'll probably get a little bit less obscure next time. And uh, you know what? That's going to be all for us here at Digging In with JP and CBI. I hope you enjoyed our inaugural episode. Please subscribe on everywhere where you get your podcasts and uh, listen in all year. I think it's going to be a fun ride. Yeah, that was fun. And I'm uh, excited to talk about some baseball, but I'm also excited to go head-to-head with you about what we don't agree on. All right. We'll see you next week. <laughs>